This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome to your day in court with renowned lawyers, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Now, Bruce is checking in today remotely from Paradise. We'll get to that in just a moment. And uh, Ray Judice is uh, like a rock star when he walks in the building. My name is Tug Cowart, and I'm just glad to try to corral these two on a great day of your day in court. We're not as lucky as Bruce today. Yeah, you know, I hate to make this just a uh, commercial for the Longboat Geeks board, but sure is pretty down here at the beach. And um, you know, I understand it's fairly cold and uh, gray back in Atlanta. So uh, I do miss, of course, my home, miss being there in the same room with you guys. But if I had to be anywhere else, this, this view of Gulf of Mexico is pretty nice. Yeah, it may as well be there. Well, Bruce, even though you're on vacation, your cell phone's still on in, c- in case people need to get hold of you. Listen, you know, vacation is only a state of mind. I mean, I'm I am available to my peeps 24/7. So if anybody needs to find me, it's not hard. 404-202-2233. That is my cell phone. You can get me no matter what beach I might have my uh, toes in the sand on. Um, <laughs> you can also email me Bruce at Hagen-Law.com. H-A-G-E-N-L-A-W. That's our website. Check it out. A lot of great information. And uh, help anybody who needs any help whatsoever with uh, their personal injury claims. And even though I'm uh, working remotely, we'll call it that, uh, everybody else still back at the office grinding it out happily. Uh, and so you need help, we're there working on it. And then, Ray Judice, folks need to get you. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, 404-964-4185, now located in Roswell. And able to jump on any highway or byway or country road to get to the courthouse to protect your rights. Bruce, uh, I send cases to Bruce. Bruce sends cases to me. We collaborate on cases because he is a great lawyer. I, I sometimes have told the story that not only did we grow up near each other in New York, but we actually became friends in the courthouse because every courthouse I was in on a regular basis, I would see Bruce in the courthouse <laughs> pulling his trial box, you know, behind him like the uh, the airline stewardesses have, the, the, and uh, working and picking juries. And I said, hey, that guy's like me. We like to go to court on behalf of our clients. There you go. We'll grind it out. Well, let's start today with something. True. It reminds me a little bit of what's happening around my house. You know, we are getting our graduation boxes, getting the tassels, getting the ribbons. We got a senior trip plan. And, and it made me wonder what kind of troubles can you get in on spring train or, or on spring break, and then what about graduation parties? Because both could lead to some um, some issue. Bruce generally starts off, but let me lead this one off if you don't mind, Bruce. Uh, I get those calls. I get those calls from the from our family, friends, and parents in our age bracket. They're. 17 to 25 year old is down at uh, the beach down at the panama city or 30a wherever 30a yeah i see those stickers everywhere like half of atlanta lives uh, part-time in 30a arrested last night minor possession of alcohol drinking on the beach possession of marijuana suspended driver's license fought with the cop urinating in public i can make the list those are the those are the top five or six and you know i've got contacts with good lawyers down in that area and a couple of bail bondsmen down in the on the coast that can throw the bond 
Maryland, as they say, and get representation. I have a lot of parents that want to jump in a car immediately and get down there, and generally I can do things faster with a phone call. But really, what's the blowback? Yeah, sure, you know, you may lose that Zell Miller scholarship that's worth eighteen dollars to $25,000 at a good college here in Georgia. You may lose a job. You may lose your driving privileges. Florida's tough on underage drinkers, as is Georgia, but Florida's particularly tough because they're trying to, as you may imagine, keep their tourist industry and people that spend big bucks on condos and golf courses and things like that happy. And what they don't want is a bunch of drunk 18-year-olds on their golf course at night or whatever coming out of a restaurant or a bar causing mayhem. So I get those calls. Uh, Bruce, you probably get them too. Yeah, and the calls I get are slightly different. They're calls about um, what can I do to make sure uh, uh, if a problem occurs while my kid is uh, in the spring break trip, uh, that no liability comes back to me as a parent. For example, a lot of folks, uh, I know that when my kids were finishing high school, a lot of folks, when they had their senior year of high school, they will take a joint spring break trip together down to a place like Florida and rent one big house with you know, one parent or several parents sort of being there ostensibly as chaperones, but really somebody needs to rent the house and a seven-year-old kid can't do it. So, you know, the parents have this concern, hey, if I am the chaperone at this house, what responsibility do I have if one of the kids here does something stupid and, you know, drinks at night or smuggles, you know, drugs or alcohol in that I don't know about or worse, that I tell them that it's okay to have or I even provided it for them, you know, what sort of liability can come back to me? So I get those kind of questions as well as the, the issues that come up if somebody, let's say they're on a road trip and they get injured in a car crash uh, in another state. And, and how do they go about doing that? Because, you know, being in Georgia, we can still help, but the law in Florida or the law in Alabama or wherever is going to be slightly different than it is in Georgia. Insurance certainly is different. You know, Florida is a no-fault state, for example, which is different than Georgia. So, so the issues there can be completely different for those sorts of trips. But um, the one that really catches my concern, and I think so for the folks who listen to this show, um, if you are hosting other kids, uh, you need to be prepared for the worst. I mean, I know all your, all our listeners, their kids are angels and would never <laughs> do anything wrong. But uh, you go to sleep at 10 o'clock and uh, those kids are up till 3, 4 in the morning. And, and by the way, at the next house and the next house and the next house, there are kids from other areas that are there and they're having fun and things can go wrong in a hurry. And, and so um, I always think it's a good idea if you are going to be uh, in charge of somebody else's kids that you have a very uh, frank discussion with those parents before the trip about what your rules are and your expectations for their behavior, what you allow, what you don't allow. Uh, make sure you have uh, that that kid has an insurance card in case somebody needs to go to a hospital or see a doctor. Make sure that there's consent from the parents for you to be the one to consent to whatever medical treatment might be needed in case there's an emergency situation. Um, and, and certainly, you know, you can let them know that you will not tolerate whatever illegal behavior you say you're not going to tolerate because they're going to do it uh and potentially they're going to do it and there's no reason why their stupidity should result in liability to you yeah one of the things you may also want to look into if they're taking your car uh family vehicle down there is does the coverage extend to florida florida has different insurance minimums and maximums what about their health insurance uh, uh, every time my dad travels I, I make sure he adds the hospital the flight the helicopter flight i know it's crazy but he's older he has some heart issues and i'm like look you know if you want to go 
to Puerto Rico for a vacation, make sure you can get air flighted back and you need to go to either AAA or your uh, your auto carrier and make sure you've got sufficient coverages to get that vehicle back or get it fixed or make sure there's rental coverage. So Bruce and I always, always, always say, if you ever want us to look at your what's called the declarations page, that's that page of secret code that you need the Rosetta Stone to decipher uh, as to what insurance coverages you have on your policy. And then I get it all. To, oh, I've got full coverage. You've got full coverage, meaning you're legal to drive on the roads, but you don't have enough coverage. Bruce and I are, are both big fans of folks bringing that to us. Let us take a look at it. Take a picture of it. Text it to me. I'll, I'll give you my opinion. Bruce will give you his. It's probably in contrast with what you want to pay. <laughs> it's probably going to cost you a little bit more. Probably, well, well, probably worth, it. worth it. Yeah. Anytime anybody is shopping insurance, if you're just looking at price alone, you're making a huge mistake because what you really need to look at is coverage. What are you getting covered for? You have the dollars for that coverage. That's what insurance is for. It's there to protect you from that sort of situation. There are uh, types of travel insurance that you can get like for spring break. So a kid is going to uh, on a trip with or without you, you can get uh, other insurance to protect you, cancellation insurance in case something comes up. You know, obviously with COVID now, plans can change in a heartbeat. Um, so th there's coverage you can get that protects you there as well. But Ray makes a really good point about the helicopter transport, the, the emergency um, transport when folks are in, in a situation where they need to be life flighted by helicopter due to some medical emergency. First of all, those companies that provide that kind of transport charge a fortune, number one. And secondly, uh, most health insurance plans won't pay for it. So I, it's almost a bankruptable event in the sense that if you have to be uh, flown by a helicopter to some uh, medical facility, particularly if it's from another state, um, you could you could end up with a debt of over $100,000 just for something like that, that your health insurance will not cover and that the um, helicopter transport company will not write off. So it, it's a very serious thing. And yes, if you can arrange travel insurance that covers that ahead of time, it's, it's worth it. Yeah, of course, Bruce and I are always coming up with these horrible examples of the worst thing that could possibly happen because the folks that come into both of our offices have had bad things happen to them. And so we're so used to this that we, uh, we, it's our, our kind I've had folks say, man, <laughs> you know, you're, you're kind of morose. I'm like, no, just realistic. <laughs> this yeah. is what goes Maybe on. Maybe nothing happens, but <laughs> yeah. you gotta be prepared for the worst. That's absolutely right. That's be the boy scout when it comes to your, to your insurances and, uh, as we started the show off with the, uh, about the topic of young adults traveling to far off places, I will give you an example. I got retained a few years ago by a young man who was going to a fantastic university, Colgate University up in the Northeast. And he and his four or five buddies were in his daddy's Mercedes and they were headed to Panama City and they were going through Columbus, Georgia to get there. Well, Guess what? The law enforcement people in Columbus, Georgia, know that the uh, Capistranos come through there <laughs> every spring, uh, and they had a roadblock, and they stopped this car, and all five of these young men go running off into the woods of Columbus that they're n totally not prepared to do, and the trunk of the car is loaded with drugs and marijuana and alcohol and all kinds of stuff for the parte. Well, five different lawyers, including myself, represented five wonderful young men who were probably uh, wizards of Wall Street or something by now and uh, got them a good opportunity to eradicate that conviction from their, their history by doing some community service and other good deeds. But law enforcement knows it's coming. They're set up. 
they know how to handle it. They've got they've got a, a what they call the gray bar motels ready for you. No doubt about <laughs> it. So you got to be prepared for anything. You got to uh, make sure that you know what you're getting yourself into when you go on spring break or you take kids on spring break or you throw graduation parties. Any of those apply. If you need any assistance, any direction, reach out to Ray or Bruce. When we continue, Alex Murdaugh. The uh, man was indicted on murder charges of the shooting death of his wife, Maggie Murdaugh, and his youngest son, Paul Murdaugh. The uh, murder trial is underway in Walterboro, South Carolina. We'll discuss that next on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. Welcome back to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 1063. My name is Tug Cowart. Alex Murdaugh was indicted on murder charges of the shooting death of his wife, Maggie, and his youngest son, Paul. Um, they were gunned down on June 7th at the family's home in Low Country, South Carolina. Murder trial is taking place in Walterboro, South Carolina. And the judge ruled earlier this week that evidence of Alex Murdaugh's alleged financial crimes may be presented during the murder trial. Are you all surprised by that decision? I'm not. Um, first of all, a jury wants to have a motive i mean they want to put the jigsaw puzzle together and a prosecutor wants to show motive that that's their timeline first let's start with the motive then the opportunity then the actual facts and of course we'll swing back at the end the weapon which can't be found at least at this point in time um sure so the defense wants to keep it out you know and what we argue is that it's prejudicial what does that mean it means it's going to hurt my client's case, you know. Whenever they're all bad facts are prejudicial, I have a, a special motion in front of the judge. It's called a motion wishing we had better facts than we have. Okay, <laughs> judge, please help us out here. Uh, and but but the balancing test for the judge, any judge, is called is the is the probative value is the pre, excuse me does the prejudicial value to the defendant in a criminal case is it out does it outweigh the probative value for the prosecution meaning to probe for evidence, to get the evidence to the jury for their, decis their decision. Uh, and that's a balancing test. And that, of course, will go to an appellate court, probably in this serious case, if Murdoch is convicted. And what the judge did was say, yeah, you know what? The fact that there's an allegation that he had stolen or misappropriated 800 thousand dollars from his law firm might be a motive to commit a crime to collect 
life insurance proceeds or perhaps just lighten your load as far as tuition and household expenses or maybe maybe the stress got to you. Now, that may be a defense if, if, if they turn it around that way, but I don't think it'll work. So, sure, it's a very important ruling. It's an appealable ruling by the defense to if there's a conviction to the state appellate courts, uh, and it's probably the right decision in my view of, of the facts. Yeah, and there's also a, a tremendous amount of financial stress, apparently, that was being put on Murdoch by virtue of a case that had been filed against the son that was killed. Uh, and that, that goes back to a boating death uh, from a couple of years prior and the family of somebody who was killed in that boating accident where the son, Paul, had been driving the boat, had filed a suit against the Murdoch and uh, the Murdoch family. Um, and there was potential, you know, uninsured exposure there to Alex Murdaugh as well by virtue of his son operating that boat. So they were saying that that in and of itself could have been a reason why uh, he was motivated to do something as heinous, such as kill his son. So yeah, it, it certainly makes sense. What, what I think is interesting, Ray, and a lot of people may not realize how this works, is that essentially what you had here uh, over the last few days, uh, earlier this week, was a mini trial, like a trial within the trial where evidence gets presented um, outside the presence of the jury. So the jury has been selected. They come in to do their job in the morning, and then they just sit in the jury room, which is not a luxurious place in most courthouses. It's, it's a pretty sparse uh, environment, and they don't have their cell phones back there because they're not allowed to be on their phones while they're doing jury service. So they're just kind of sitting in a room while in the courtroom, you've got a parade of witnesses being um, examined and cross-examining uh, or examined, and it's on this issue of, what is it that they have to say? And, and then the judge makes this decision is, is this evidence relevant? Is this evidence something that, uh, again, the probative value outweighs the potential prejudice to the defendant? So, so it's like you have a, a side issue taking place while the jury's just kind of cooling their heels, waiting to come back in and then hear the evidence. I will say um, that, per they, I'm sorry, Bruce, uh, procedure. No, no, go ahead. I was say, this, this is a way that, that courts make sure that they can consider legal arguments and, and issues of um, potential proof to be admitted in the case without it tainting the jury's perception by hearing something that would otherwise they'd be saying, well, you're not supposed to listen to that, so just go ahead and ignore all that stuff you just heard. I find it and, unusual and, that this is happening, this issue is arising and this hearing during the trial once the jury has been seated. So let me give you an example of what I mean. Typically, if the prosecution was going to introduce this financial distress evidence, those documents, there, there would be a list of witnesses, maybe from the law firm or the accounting firm or the IRS or wherever, you know, witnesses to that, as you just talked about, Bruce, they would be included in the prosecution's discovery package. They would signal to the defense, hey, we're trying to introduce this. In fact, there's some types of discovery where you must show what, you know, what your intentions are regarding motivation. Therefore, the defense would file what's called a motion in limine. That's a Latin term, meaning to limit, not to let this in. Typically, uh, in, and I think in Georgia courts, especially in a mur double murder case, this type of an issue should have been heard prior to the jury being selected. Because whether or not this, this evidence or, la or the lack thereof of financial duress is going to come into the case, as a prosecutor, I'd want to have that in my opening statement. I can't use that in my opening statement unless the court has 
permitted it to come in. I want to keep it out if I'm on the defense side from the prosecution's opening statement because you're going to have jurors, you're going to have a couple of those jurors nodding their head up and down and say, whoa, 800 G's, no wonder, you know, or I wonder what happened there. So, you know, this really should have been done before the jury is selected uh, and and a ruling that could have been appealable prior to trial. And, and sometimes those appeals go up and down real fast in a, in a hot case like this, uh, the Court of Appeals to reach out and give a quick ruling so the trial can move forward. Uh, so I find it unusual. And as as Bruce says, so now you've got jurors sitting in the back, you know, eating pizza and watching, you know, Maury Povich, guessing who the baby daddy is, uh, all, you know, for nine hours a day. Uh, and you know what? Nowadays, you do not want to have a bored, frustrated jury who hates the system and being away from their home and their jobs and their life and dragging to the courthouse at 730 and maybe being brought over to the courthouse by, in a school bus, you know, together and, and all that kind of stuff which goes on. So I'm not trying to say jury service is ugly, but it should be efficiently run by the courts. Yeah, and even though um, it's not required for the state to have to show a motive, they don't have to prove motive to prove that this guy did the murders. Um, it certainly helps them, and it helps the jury to walk through about, like why he would do this. Alex Murdoch is facing uh, criminal charges separate from this murder charge. He's got like 99 separate counts of criminal charges related to all these financial misdealings on his part. So now the jury's going to get to hear all of that, right? And and typically this is the sort of thing that you know criminal defense lawyer is going to say, hey, look, that this is, he may be a bad person. They may have these other charges against him. But that doesn't mean he did this crime and the jury should only hear about this crime. So being able to sort of bootstrap these other charges unrelated to the murder, but by saying that that's his motive here, you know, that that's that's where this was. Different. And Ray, the, the only thing I could think of, you're absolutely right. Ray, Ray is, of course, right about the motion in limine and that this is the sort of pretrial argument that would typically be made in front of the judge. It just may be that the judge couldn't rule on it until he, he heard some of this testimony and that he couldn't get the testimony in front of the judge for lack of things like in the civil case we would have sure. all those people deposed and, and, and you know their testimony under oath already and they just may not have been able to get all that done um you know before the trial to be able to even present it as a motion like yeah it's called so, laying a found uh, a foundation uh to show the court why it's relevant sometimes as, as bruce properly points out you've got to maybe call you know a bunch of witnesses that are not directly related to this financial issue but to sort of set the scene and now judge can we send the jury out because i'd like to do the following <laughs> of course the defense starts yelling <laughs> throwing papers around <laughs> right. that's, what, that's what you're supposed to do if you don't do that your clients don't think they're paying enough money <laughs> right you know a big part of the defense and i've been i've been checking in on the trial periodically and and you know catching sort of the highlights of each day's testimony and cross-examination and the, the defense um, keeps coming back to the fact that while, while all the testimony is taking place about the type of weapon that was used here and what people may have seen or heard the, the defense is really hitting on the fact that nobody has been able to produce the actual murder weapon um how vital is that to a prosecution's attempt to say that you know this person who we believe was on trial here is the murderer and we want the jury to convict him of murder, even in the absence of a murder weapon. It's not vital. It's certainly not a uh, a game breaker. Uh, does the does every prosecutor love 
to parade that weapon around an opening statement and maybe have law enforcement make a big show of it. You know, you have you have it. It's in a sealed uh, plastic bag and you have the clerk of court unseal it. And of course, it's got a gun lock on it. And you have the sheriff double check it to make sure there's no rounds in the chamber. And then you hold it by a string so you don't muss up the fingerprints allegedly from the defendant. Now, of course, fingerprints, you know, everybody wants to see fingerprints or uh, was there gunpowder on his hands? You know, did they do that test, the paraffin test? So you sure it makes it easy. I mean, prosecute and we're all trial lawyers. Don't we like it? Nice and easy, uh, but uh, it's not critical. But, of course, the defense is going to argue the smoke out of it, and that'll be a huge part of the closing argument about how much resources the state has put into this case, and they can't even find the weapon, and they were at the scene so quickly, and they didn't check his hands to see if there was gunpowder burns or any of that. So, sure, sure, and you might look, when you're defending a criminal case, would you like to have all 12 people find your client not guilty and walk out of court and make a statement on the courthouse steps? Absolutely. But sometimes you just got to have two or three, you know, and they either hang up the jury that can't come up with a conviction or they convict on a lesser, a lesser included charge. And in many cases, that is a victory for the defense. So uh, you're going to hear that. Uh, I've had cases, though, you know, jurors just are like, oh, come on already. Move along. We know he we know he hid the weapon. Give us a break. What do you think he was? He was what do you what do you think he took it home and put it in the, in the kitchen? You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, look, it's it's a very difficult job. Uh, for a police officer to, to thoroughly investigate a crime scene, let alone a murder scene. And the opportunity for there to have been mistakes made in the handling of evidence and the investigation is just, it's rampant. You know, I mean, as much as we all think that every every scene is perfectly investigated because we've seen enough CSI shows and, uh, you know, enough TV shows to think that this is done all, all very well, it's chaos when, when something like this happens. And so, you know, being able to also point out not just the absence of a murder weapon, but as the forensics um, experts are testifying about all the aspects of, of, of the crime scene, just, you know, mistakes that were made by the officers who investigated, evidence that was not recovered, evidence that might have been tainted, uh, it just it, it creates that possibility that somebody's going to hear all that and say that, you know what, there is room here for doubt. And I'm not convinced that the state has met their burden. They, they, they may still believe that this guy's the killer, but they just may not be convinced to that high standard that we require in, in criminal prosecutions of beyond a reasonable doubt uh, because of these side issues. And so uh, if there's a if there's something worth saying as a defense lawyer, uh, if it's worth saying once, it's worth saying a hundred times, just in the hopes that somebody latches onto it, you know. And so, um, the, the absence of the murder weapon, the flaws in the way the investigation was handled, all of that becomes so magnified, just in the hopes that one juror will latch onto it and say, "I'm not convinced." Yeah, even the financial uh, issues. You know what? This guy made a lot of money. He was capable of making a lot of money. He was a partner in a very successful law firm, probably had some equity in the house, maybe a piece of land. You know, it's not okay. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, yeah, he got he got underwater with the law firm. Uh, he owes him $800,000. We've signed a, a reimbursement agreement. Uh, he's going to make it back because he was making seven fifty a year, and his IRA is worth $3 million a year. Give me a break. He didn't kill his family members because he owed some money. 
it's workable. <laughs> you know, that's what yeah. we do. They may be from the same critter, but you can't turn chicken poop into chicken salad, but you got to try to clean it up a little bit. <laughs> well, and like I tell people, Ray and I have been doing this so long that we've heard many people come into our offices to tell us that they have an open and shut case. Yep. It, it, it's a, it's a can't lose case. It's an, it's an easy defense or an easy prosecution to say, you know what, there, there just really is no such thing at all. And, and as much as you think this is all uh, easy and open and shut, there's going to be another lawyer involved, and they're not just going to show up in court and say, I agree with everything that my opponent is saying. You know, I've never, I've never had anybody stand in court and say, give Mr. Hagen's client everything that Mr. Hagen wants him to have. <laughs> right. So, so um, you, you know, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. And, and in a criminal defense case, yeah, there's, there's no defense lawyer in the world who's going to sit there quietly and say, prosecution's right. <laughs> we did it. Well, let me ask you about this little layer, this little wrinkle, because if you remember in the very beginning of this, there was the person that was supposedly, and they're calling this witness that are coming in to testify against Alex Murdaugh, Cousin Eddie, Curtis Smith, who he says Murdaugh tried to hire him to off him. So his son got this, his oldest son got like a $10 million life insurance policy. This seems like it would cloud up the water altogether because it, it it was showing that there was intent going in another direction altogether, right? He was going to have somebody knock him off. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I think the defense is going to leave that witness on the witness stand for as long as possible. <laughs> It'll be what we call a uh, a grinding and si- a thorough and sifting cross examination, and let him say it as many times as possible that it was my client's intent to provide for his loving family to the extent that he was willing to almost commit suicide to collect. I mean, because if you commit suicide, you can't collect on the policy generally. The life insurance or your family, sometimes they can, just depends. So uh, I think it's I think it's to the defense's advantage. I wonder what the prosecution may be overplaying their hand. But of course, the defense could call this witness too. And then that's, that tactically, sometimes the prosecution, if you've got a witness that maybe isn't the best for you, but you can call that witness in your case in chief, well, then you can kind of guide it and maybe to limit the damage. But of course, that leads that witness up to cross-examination by defense counsel. Yeah, I, I always tell my clients, I say, listen, if there's going to be some bad news about your case, I would much rather that the jury hear it from us when we're doing our portion of the presentation so that they know we're not afraid of it and they know we're not trying to hide anything from them than have it come out when you're being cross-examined so it looks like you've been trying to keep this from the jury in the hopes that maybe they won't discover it. I'd much rather find a way to try to embrace the negative negative facts and turn them if I can in any way or at least minimize rather than have it come out like somebody's making their Perry Mason moment and it's like aha gotcha you were trying to keep the jury from knowing the truth we never get all the facts we want but strategically you want to have the credibility with the jury you want the jury on your side and if they think you're trying to hide anything from them it's going to backfire so so you're better off just bringing it out and because the show is called your day in court in the civil lawsuit world as Bruce is in most of his career he has an advantage in a plaintiff's case and he's the moving party so he has to move the case forward he goes first to put up his case but he can actually call defense witnesses or even the defendant his or herself to the witness stand in the plaintiff's case for hostile cross-examination I've done it only a handful of times in my career it's fascinating you have to lay a foundation for it and usually the jury is sent out because the judge is like what 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 are you doing here but uh, I'll just tell a quick war story I actually went to 
jury trial in federal district court against a supermarket chain for a slip and fall accident. This is quite a while ago. Take two or three years to get the case to court. And by the time the case came to trial, the store manager of the supermarket was no longer available. So they brought the current store manager to sit next to the insurance defense lawyer, a fantastic lawyer, by the way, and now is a fantastic mediator. Uh, well, you know what? I, I took a, a risk and I called, in my case in chief, the new store manager <laughs> to the witness stand as a hostile, uh, for a hostile cross-examination. And I said, what do you know about this case? Nothing. Have you done anything in this case? No. Were you a witness? No. Did you ever speak to my client? No. Did you ever render aid to her, send her a, a get well soon card or visit her in the hospital? No, 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 no. Thank you, sir. Well, it just showed the jury, and my point was this big, callous, national supermarket chain just didn't care and they just sent somebody here just for show wow yeah that's uh that's pretty damning it's right sneaky. there it was sneaky it's sne- but it's good it's good but that's that's what you want with your lawyer right you want your lawyer to be able to present your side of the case and 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 do that it was a risk. that's what you hope for well you hope so uh it was a risk well, and based on experience and i'm sure bruce you've done the same Oh, but it's funny because, you know, the, the adage that all these non-lawyers always have and is that, you know, a good lawyer never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. It's like, yeah, that's not 100 percent true. Well, there's calculate, <laughs> calculated, calculated, calculated. Plenty of times we don't we don't know the answer. Right. But, but we have a pretty good idea where it's headed. And if it comes out in a way that is not what I was expecting, Stop. I can still work around. Stop and it, sit know? down. Right. No more. Qu- Thank you, Judge. Yeah. No more questions of this, of this yeah. witness. And act like it's exactly the way you exactly. wanted it. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm appreciate you taking the time to come here and tell the truth to the ladies and gentlemen of our jury. What about the list of witnesses? Because I think they're up to about uh, 32, 33, 34, 35, somewhere in there. But they have a list of 250 potential witnesses in in the Murdoch trial. Is that normal? I mean, I, I guess yeah. the Murdoch trial no, no. is is you're going to have more than than usual. Let me explain something about how that how that likely in South Carolina, it's how it works in Georgia, is that before a case begins, you, you put together a list of who you will have testified and who you may have testified. And, and they're two different lists. And, and the will have testified, there may not be anybody, certainly in a criminal defense case, that, that will testify because the defendant doesn't have to testify, doesn't have to do a word. The state has the burden to prove their case. But in the may call list of people that you may call, well, then you better have everybody under the sun because if you and if you intend to go outside of that list you know there's this late discovered witness who saw the whole thing there better be a good reason for for them to do it and for them not to have been uh included on the list because because what the court doesn't want and doesn't allow are surprises so so the, the list of people who could possibly be called is oftentimes huge and yet you pare it down to kind of the essentials of what do we really need a to prove our case or B, to fight against the proof of the case, and each side makes that decision that way. And many of these witnesses in any homicide case are what's called chain of custody witnesses. So by way of example, let's just say they found the gun. All right, Officer A picked up the gun, put it in a plastic bag, gave it to Officer B, who transported it to the GBI crime lab. You know, Officer C or Technician C at the crime lab took the gun to the ballistics unit. You, you If you're required, and sometimes the defense will make you prove every inch of that chain of custody, you want to have all those folks, you know, who directed traffic around the crime scene. Maybe that witness heard something or talked to somebody. I mean, so many of those witnesses are, you know, 
let's just say redundant. Uh, often the defense will stipulate to certain things like chain of custody. Yes, Your Honor, we, we've been shown these documents before. We have no objection entered with you know without objection. But as Bruce wisely points out, uh, when you are the moving party, especially in this case, the prosecution is moving the case forward. You want to have everybody possibly that you may call because otherwise you've got to ask the judge to indulge your over, you know, better be, you better have a good reason to add somebody newly discovered evidence. This witness just came forward. Those kind of things can happen. Now I'm not going to say this happens often. It may happen a little bit more in complicated financial cases or maybe federal cases, but there might be just a little bit of sandbagging by the prosecution because they know the defense is, going to try to talk to everybody on that witness list because you never know who's going to say what well that takes up a lot of time and resources when a when a defense lawyer has to worry about what 250 different witnesses might I say see. in a trial but i don't know that happened here i'm just saying we got to leave it there this is your day in court on extra 1063 when we come back what if you had won million in the Powerball jackpot. Will it happen to a single winner? What should they be doing? Estate planning. Taxes. Going to talk about some of those things next on Your Day in Court on Extra 1063 with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business. And it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. I don't play the lottery, so I will never win $747 or $754.6 million. Never going to happen to me. But somebody in Washington State had that happen. And there's all kinds of things to think about, y'all, when you win the lottery. Like your privacy, your security. What about estate planning? What about taxes? Because there's a bunch of things that could get you in trouble if you don't take this serious. And if you play the lottery a lot, look, you don't have a big chance, but... You, the reason you play is because you have a chance. What, what, what are some saying of the, is I got a chance. Like, like on Dumb and Dumb or Jim Carrey. <laughs> so good. So you're telling me there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance. So, yeah, you know, and, and even uh, before that, look, it's fine if you go and you want to buy a ticket for yourself. Uh, but, you know, how many folks, when the, when the numbers get big enough, are part of an office group of uh or pool that goes and collectively buys lottery tickets and so now you've got you know maybe 20 people in an office or more that are sharing in something like this um if you're in that situation um you're doing this certainly there's hope that you might end up winning something right let alone the whole thing why not prepare for that possibility 
So if we win, here's how it's going to be divided up. It's in writing. 20 people who bought tickets all signed off and agreed it, even with an email. They all agreed to the, to the terms of it. Anything like that, as opposed to, you know, uh, Joe, who's the uh, head of human resources, is going to hold the ticket. Uh, and purchase it on behalf of the other 20 people with money contributed by the other 20 people. And then as soon as the winning number is there, Joe disappears with the ticket, signs his name to it. Next thing you know, all you have, if you're one of those 20, is a lawsuit. You don't have a winning ticket. So plan ahead just in case you win. Um, and, and if you do, yes, you definitely want to speak to a tax attorney, uh, an attorney who's involved with asset protection and privacy. You know, th th there are lawyers who specialize in helping the ultra wealthy uh, and helping them stay that way. And uh, if you're fortunate enough, that would be a good time to employ one of those. Yeah, I mean, the easy part uh, is the taxes because the government's going to take its piece right out of the top. You're, you're not actually getting the, the gross. You're going to get the net post-tax. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, consult with a CPA. Uh, about did the government take too much or are you entitled to some sort portion of a refund out of that? But they're going to take their VIG, which is at least a third right off the top. So you're going to have a bunch of money. And as Bruce says, uh, you want to get a couple of financial planners, a couple of good opinions, a good tax person, maybe two good tax people. You want to create a trust and estate plan about giving uh, future money. Should there be any left upon your demise to uh, your family, your children, your favorite charities? Don't don't think. Oh well, I told I told Martha that you know we'll, we're gonna send the money to whatever. Nope, that don't count. Martha may take it and go to Paris. You know, and say, oh well. He didn't write it down. Uh, wills are not that complicated, and they're really not that expensive. Uh, they need in Georgia. Don't get the at-home will kit. Go to a good lawyer. If you if you win $75 million, go pay 5000 and get a good will and have it videotaped and witnessed and all that. And have, have, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and have yeah, five, look, five you, good you, friends you, keep it, you know. Right. Go ahead, Bruce. If, you, if you're listening to this and you don't have a will and you don't have more than $10 million in the bank and saved up in terms of assets, yeah, go get a, a simple will kit. At least have something in writing. It's better than not having anything. But but uh, I think the magic number now is up over $10 million, uh, where um, there's really not a lot of estate tax to deal with upon somebody's death if, it's, if, if the total value of the estate is less than that. But once it's more than that, then you start getting to estate tax issues, and that's really where planning can um, can save money for your heirs and, and beneficiaries. So that's really where it comes in. And if you think you might have that sort of money uh, at your death, then it's worth planning ahead uh, to avoid the taxes part of things. But that's not the only reason to have estate planning. It's certainly an important one if you find yourself in that position of uh, suddenly having the $750 million winning ticket. Uh, but... You know, you want to make sure that whatever your wishes are, are followed through and carried out the way you want that done. And it may be that you want uh, your fortune going to some specific charity or charities. Okay, spell it out. Um, you may have heirs that you think are responsible. You may have some that you think aren't and that don't, uh, shouldn't be in the position of sharing in whatever it is you leave behind. Spell it out in writing, do it properly to make sure that those wishes are carried out. Um, you know, it's just like the idea of uh, good fences make for good neighbors. Well, a good estate plan makes for uh, good family relationships as opposed to the fighting that takes place 
when people don't have good, clear documentation of their last wishes. And now it's up to uh, the human nature of uh, family uh, to just sort of let things take their natural course, which by the way, I'm not being serious about, I'm being facetious because that good nature turns to horrible behavior and the worst uh, of the worst and litigation for folks who specialize in a state type of litigation keeps them busy. Do you, have you had to deal with this? I'm sure you have. It's probably a silly question where, where you've had family members going at each other and then it turns as ugly as it possibly can be. Yeah, I was very fortunate. I, I, I'm sorry, oh, yeah. Bruce. I clerked for a... Uh, no, no, I was just, just going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I will too. I clerked for a lawyer uh, back in law school in the early 80s, and uh, he had a, a probate. There was five daughters of a gentleman who died without a will, and uh, he, uh, the wife had predeceased him. So they were the natural and legal heirs, and they each hired a lawyer, including one daughter who hired our law firm. And uh, they did an inventory of, quote unquote, the estate, which was basically a couple of cars and a couple of guns and some musty furniture. And we went in front of a, a wonderful judge who was um, passed away, Judge Marion Guest, who was the DeKalb County Probate Court judge for maybe 30 or 40 years. And upon seeing five lawyers, five clients and his laundry list of home you know, pots and pans, Judge Guest said, called all the lawyers. And I was lucky enough to go into chambers and said, boys. There's a coffee shop downstairs. Y'all going to go down there and get yourself a cup of coffee and divide this stuff up or I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> he said, we're not going to spend a week. Take the emotion out of it. Not, it's going to be A, B, C, D, A, B, C, or D, you know. And he said, I'm just going to figure it out for you and you're going to get what I'm going to give you. So uh, it was it was, it was a, a great, you know, here I am this, you know, second year law student. I'm like, what? This is how we're doing this? No, oh my goodness. <laughs> how can it be so? It just doesn't seem like that would be and the real And it was just the right answer. No, well, it was exactly the right good answer. Good Oh, there you go. All right. As we wrap up the show, if people need your expert opinion, Bruce, I know you're on vacation and we appreciate you joining us on the show, even though that you're uh, supposed to not be working, but you're working today. How do people get a hold of you if they need you to work for them? We call this working remotely, Tug. And uh, my view of the lovely Gulf of Mexico is a nice spot to work remotely. Uh, easy to find me, uh, uh, my remote office uh, and cell phone, 404 202-2233. Email me anytime, Bruce at Hagen-Law.com, H-A-G-E-N hyphen L-A-W.com. Uh, check out our website. Lots of great information there. Uh, love talking to you guys. Love talking about the law. And uh, if any of our listeners need help or want to talk or has their own questions, just reach out anytime. Bruce, have a great vacation. Ray Judice, I'm here, 404-964-4185 here in Roswell, if anything we can do to help. Uh, Bruce, if I can cover anything for you, calendar calls or fighting with insurance company lawyers, just let me know. I'll, I, I know I won't. Uh, I'll do the best I can in your steed. I will. If I can uh, help out with anything you need on the beach, you let me know that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, I need to, if you could just email me a nice cocktail. That'd yeah, be nice. pop a few tops and uh, <laughs> enjoy. Is well-deserved. He works hard. There you go. This All is right. your day in court on Extra 106.3. Bruce, enjoy it. Ray, see you soon, bud. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. 
First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.